You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. What's going on, people? Welcome to Paint Points. As usual, I'm your host, Jake Painting. This podcast is proudly brought to you by the SB Nation Podcast Network and the Tainus Hoopers family. Today, we are going to don the tuxedos. I know this is a, a audio <laughs> an audio platform, so you can't see me, but I am wearing a bow tie for this podcast. <laughs> um, we're going to do the Timberwolves Awards for the season. Obviously, you know you know by now that the the season is over. It, it was a strange, weird season, and we we got through to the end. But tonight we're gonna gonna put a bow on it, literally, uh, and <laughs> just uh, kind of yeah, list off uh, around I think eight or nine awards. Some that that you've heard of before. Some that I made up on the spot. So to join me to do that is Kyle Tidy, editor in chief at Tanner Supers, friend of the show. Kyle, what's going on, man? How's it going, dude? You look. I mean. Let's just again clarify. Jake has a bow tie on, so this is this is our Oscars. This is our uh, our ESPYS, um, and I, I like the list you made. I like the uh, we have some of the basic awards that you would think of, and then some lesser ones that might surprise people. So uh, I'm ready to kick it off. It, right. it was you know I mean before we do jump into it, like it was a up and down season, and I think you and I had our moments where we're wanted to stop watching them but they finished strong and questioning our yeah. sanity yeah and our and our significant others were questioning what the hell we were doing <laughs> all the time but uh no i mean they finished they finished strong um i told this to a couple people you and i talk about this offline all the time but i've never really felt thoroughly more excited about an off season and about an upcoming season and i know that people say that all the time because that's what you do in the off seasons you talk yourself into it but this one feels like tangibly different like there really feels like there's momentum regardless of what happens with the lottery so i think it's like you said put a bow on it um and then kind of take a couple weeks and just kind of go into the sunset and then once that lottery picks up man it's going to be it's going to be an exciting off season with i think they're going to make some surprising moves and there'll be just a bunch of stuff for us to cover so no well, better way no better way to get ready for the off season than to kind of like you said wrap up uh the 2020 2021 season well, I think that's the good thing about this team. Good and maybe sometimes bad is that, that Gerson Rosas and, and you know, his front office cohorts are always plotting something and it's never really boring around around the team. This this past trade deadline was probably a little bit surprising, but I just don't see there being too quiet, you know, trading free agency kind of periods. So... You know, it'll be fun. Whatever way it goes, it'll definitely be fun. And yeah, let, let's let's wrap this up, and then we can move on to that in the coming weeks. Um, let's start with the obvious. I think the obvious one is the MVP. Uh, who I'll, I'm going to throw to you first on all of these, and then we'll we'll kind of ad lib from there. So, what? Who's your MVP? All right. So I'm going to cheat, but <laughs> I took MVP. We obviously know most valuable player. I took MVP as most valuable person 
in this case, and I'm going to give it to Chris Finch because okay. if I did if I did a recap, which this is what this is of my biggest takeaways from the season, and I'll kind of give you some of those as we go on. But uh, I think I learned more this year than ever before about the importance of coaching. I was extremely guilty of just thinking head coaches in the NBA were kind of like head coaches in like football over here, like in the NFL. Um, sometimes they're more of just like a, a like a manager in terms of they have everyone working underneath them, you know, calling all the shots, X's nose. Um, I mean, the Wolves themselves under Ryan Saunders had a offensive and defensive coordinator. Um, so I didn't think head coaching mattered that much. And then to see the basically, you know, the first 30 games under Ryan or whatever, and then the last... 42 or whatever under under Finch um I learned a lot and Chris Finch was just I mean he was just such a smarter head coach he's renowned around the league you're starting to hear his name now on like yep. big time podcasts like Ryan Rosillo was talking about him uh he was mentioned in the athletic like on a national level recently uh, and you're starting to hear he, about him from other teams who are potentially going, going to fire their coach from fans and from beat writers who said who who say you know, like Chris Finch was our first choice, but now I'm hoping they get this dude or this dude. Like he wasn't a an, an unknown quantity, you know, around the league. Like, like Chris Finch had fans, and I think that that now that it's kind of you know the coaching merry-go-round season, um, you're starting to hear his name mentioned as as a, a coach that a lot of teams would have really liked to have. And and yeah, I think you, what you're literally touching on is that report the other day that the Sacramento Kings guy said that uh, when I mean at, there was a point where Luke Walton was really on thin ice and should, once should Chris, still Chris be. Finch was yeah and he should still be by the way but Chris Finch once he was kind of off the market and signed or you know was hired by the Wolves um, they decided to kind of invest in Luke Walton more so I know I, we've said this before but how how the coaching uh, change went down was probably a little weird you know mid-season they, they passed over David Vanterpool who's now not you know no longer with the team um but in the end of the day I mean Gerson Rosas has showed with that or multiple other things that he's cutthroat and that's what the league is that's what sports are and he might not have pleased everyone with how he did it but he brought the right guy in and that's why I think Chris Finch is my most valuable person because I think that dude revolution I mean I think he had a lot of the same ingredients he didn't have a lot of time to prep um and he did wonders with them and I think the biggest uh, I mean I don't know if I want to say the biggest storyline because the biggest storyline for this team this offseason is is the lottery regardless um but the second biggest like just storyline this offseason is what he can do with a full summer with these guys they've already said like 10 of them are going to live in Minneapolis all summer so they're going to be with Chris all summer long working out in the gym um and if he can instill some real like defensive principles, get a whole slew of new coaches in there, I think he's maybe not the most important person next year, but damn, he's going to be really important for what they want to do because for the first time in a long time, the Wolves have a competitive advantage on the bench. Like they're coaching and I don't they've they haven't really ever had that a lot in the franchise's history. So, well, you said, you know, just just 5 minutes ago how excited you were heading into the season uh you know and, and you have genuine excitement heading into the future a lot of that is because Chris Finch came and and, and instilled that in you I, I know that the team got Towns Russell and, and Ant out there together which was kind of a, a a rarity under Saunders but Finch is the reason why 
you know, this this whole thing kind of seems to have a light at the end of the tunnel and rather than just a dark, never-ending tunnel that we seem to be stuck in before. And I think it's completely fair to say that obviously he's not a player, but that he's one of the most important guys on the team and that his inclusion kind of sparked more optimism than anything else has this season, maybe outside of Anthony Edwards going nuclear for 30 games. So... I think it's a fair call, really. And I, and I, again, there's still not enough of a sample size because Ant's only played, I mean, 72 games, but it's still it's his rookie season. We have to see if he can continue to grow. I mean, uh, development in the league is not always linear, but uh, I credit a lot of what Ant did in the second half to Chris Finch. Right. Um, I credit D'Angelo Russell's resurgence and playing like a you know, max-level kind of point guard um, to Chris Finch. I mean, he's a whisper. He... The fact that one of the biggest things that I was blown away by was both Chris Finch's ability to get D'Angelo Russell to come off the bench for a while and Russell's kind of acceptance and like he was a good teammate and a good soldier. Um, I think that just goes back to respect. And I don't think a lot of people respected Ryan um, because he didn't have much of a track record. And you look at Chris Finch and he's got more of that David Blatt kind of resume where he's gone through all the kind of, you know, for better or worse, shitty leagues of like the G League and been in Europe and stuff. He's really grinded at those low levels to get to where he is. Um, and I think smart players understand that, and that's why they respect him more. So yeah, he's my he's my MVP for most valuable person. But I'm gonna guess you went to a player with yours, right? Yeah. Well, I think I think would be harsh of us to leave out Cat off this list. Mm. I, I still mm-hmm. think that you know, obviously he had the the wrist injuries. He had the bout with COVID. He didn't have probably his best year ever. Uh, I think I think maybe he he the wrist did in, uh, did bother him for a lot of the season, probably all of the season. But Tyler Anthony Towns is this team's best player. Make no mistake about that. I think the the shiny newness of of Anthony Edwards kind of you know has us gravitating towards him, and and especially the the way he is off the court as well. But yeah, make make no mistake that Tyler Anthony Towns had a great season. Still, he he is a a sturdy kind of ever-present force on this team, whether they're good or bad. He doesn't get any of the respect that he deserves because they're bad. But he is just an awesome player. He he took major leaps defensively, even if he still, you know, did slide back into some of that foul proneness towards the end of the season. He made major leaps as a passer. He's He was a great passer this year. If he was around, you know, great players for the whole season... I think he's looking at seven, eight assists a game from Cat. Like, if you oh, didn't, yeah. if you didn't have Ricky Rubio standing in the corner shooting threes, and you had <laughs> Malik Beasley every game, you know, it's that like, I don't think there was anything outside of maybe the shooting numbers that I think were were hampered by the the wrist injury that got worse from Towns, and I expect those shooting numbers to go back up, and they were still, you know, elite, elite for a big man. So, uh. I just think, you know, there's not that much that we need to say on Cat just because we know who he is. We know the season that he had was tough, but but all that is a a, a tick next to his name after the off-season and the, the year that he had to come out and to give you, you know, 25-11-5, play improved defense, show willingness to, to adjust to a new scheme and to thrive in that new scheme, you know, when he's defending up at the level rather than, than always in that drop scheme. And then to accept Chris Finch after he was, you know, widely known as a yeah. guy who, who who was definitely in Ryan Saunders' corner. And he not only did he accept Finch, 
but he he embraced it and and saw the dividends being paid from from you know having a better coach around him and, and someone who uses him a bit differently and a bit more efficiently so um huge fan of Cat's year obviously you know we love Cat and I think that it, it's it's a testament to him after what he came through which I don't think needs to be a caveat for everything it shouldn't be because you know he probably doesn't want us to ca- to caveat everything with you know from what he's been through but it, it's it's still a fact that that he had every right to come out and have the worst season of his career and he arguably had you know the most well-rounded season that he's ever had so Kudos to Cat. I, I, he, he wins. Yeah, my MVP. kudos to Cat. I say, I think he, uh, I think he goes all NBA next year. Yeah, that's just if they win, really a take. if they win games, if they're winning, if they win forty games, like Cat's pretty clearly the third best center in the league, in my opinion. Yeah, I, that, I mean, it's not even a take, really. I was just, I wanted to get that out there since it's May twenty first. Like, I think safely, with if they can win more games, I think what we already saw in this first, this you know, just under those Chris Finch games, you extrapolate that out over another 82 with an off season and a training camp there's no reason that he uh it's kind of like a stock right like if he if if he was a stock his stock was probably lower now than it's been in a while i mean yeah. you always think back to like when they did the gm surveys about who would you take first to build your team around and it was carl I mean, that's not the case now he's probably not even in the top five or ten just because of other guys that have come up but also his value around the league has dropped a tinge so I would be investing in Carl as a stock. I think he has a huge, I think he has his best year of his career next year with between Finch and adding more shooters and having another year of Ant and Russell. So next, next year should be a, a huge breakout year for Carl to kind of put his name back out there in the, the elite, elite players in the league. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Um, all right, let's move on. Defensive player of the year. Uh, I think this was a hard one. Um, there was a, <laughs> yeah, for, no shit. <laughs> mainly because there's for two reasons. One, because they have, very little good defenders and two because the good defenders they do have are pretty hard to separate i think so who do you who do you go with i mean usually for any nba award there's always like three finalists uh there was there wasn't three finalists for this for me <laughs> um but i mean it to me it was jade mcdaniels um i'm obviously biased because of what i think about him but i think what he could do coming out of again no summer league you know, just had extended time off with no March Madness and stuff coming out of college. Um, what he did, I just thought was more impressive than a Josh Akogi. Also, Jaden was just playing more. Um, and Jaden just, I'll, I'll never, the thing I'll remember most about Jaden this year was that he would, if you go look at the schedule and you kind of think of like the opponent's best player. So like Jaden was just thrown to the wolves, no pun intended to like, hey, you have to go guard Luca, And then the, tomorrow night you have to guard Harden. And then we get a night off and then we're going to throw you on Giannis for a little bit. And it was just like, just go figure it out. And he did a pretty good job of it. Um, I mean, sometimes advanced stats can kind of be murky with individual defenders and stuff. And you're more of a stats guy than I am. But I just I just thought the way he accepted the challenge and just did basic shit like move his feet and utilize that God-given, you know, 60-foot wingspan that he had. Um, it was really impressive. Uh, and he was, again, the biggest... I mean, this is defensive player of the year, but he was the biggest surprise for this whole franchise. Um, and he gives the team, I mean, I don't know, we've had we've had guys that can pass really well and we've had guys that can shoot or uh, all these different things. We've never had a guy that can defend like him. I mean, I know Jimmy Butler was an all-defensive type guy, but he didn't have Jaden's length. And for Jaden to be able to do what he did at 20 years old, um, he's really like, I know I said Chris Finch. I know I said Ant. He's really like maybe the third reason I'm so bullish on this team going forward is because 
I think we only saw like the surface level of like, you know, like of an Eminem, we just saw the crust of what this <laughs> kid can do. And there's still 90% talent under there that uh, once they get their hands on and they can kind of develop more, he's going to be, I think, a pretty awesome two-way player. So he, he was my defensive player of the year for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I agree. So I, I had I had McDaniels there as well as mine. Uh, I think that the honor, honorable mention is obviously Josh Okoji. Uh, the, it's the reason I separated them two guys because I think at his chaotic best, Josh might be more impactful defensively. But I think that that's the crux of kind of the issue sometimes with Josh is that he has to be chaotic to be impactful. I think. To, it, that's harsh on him because a lot of the times he can just stay with his man and he can do the right things. Yeah, but, yeah. But Josh, when he's at his best, he's chaotic. Whereas when McDaniel's at, is at his best, he's calm, almost you know, shock, yeah. shockingly calm at how easily he kind of deals with these guys and how he he never gets flustered and he just does it all kind of so simply. Uh, and and I think that lends itself to more consistency defensively. And then also, I just think he's more versatile. Like, yeah. he can block shots at the rim and he can guard Luca. Like, he can guard your four and then your one uh, on, on kind of, you know, differing plays. So, I think that, that that's the that's the main reason that pushed me over the edge with McDaniels is just because he's a very versatile defender. He can guard probably one through five as long as the five isn't, you know, 200 pounds heavier than him. Um, so, it's, yeah, I just think that um, McDaniel's, like you said, is one of those those key kind of core guys that that make me excited, and, and the stone faced killer. Like he just, he never has had any expression on his face ever. I love it so much. I love that they dra- drafted Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniel's, who are like literally the polar opposite player and person. It's just like it's so perfect. They're like yin and yang. And and I think you make a not to just. I know we're friends, but I don't want to just completely prop you up for two hours on a pod. But I think you said that beautifully because I feel like when Josh is at his best on defense, you said the part about being chaotic. But when Josh is playing really good defense, you kind of know or you kind of feel it. Um, but with Jaden, it's like, and this is so weird, but like when Jaden's defending well, you don't really know. Yeah. Like because he's just, you know, it's just, it's, it's really subtle and it's really quiet almost. Like you said, and I don't know if that's facial features or demeanor it's just when you watch josh do it like you get amped up when i watch Jaden do it it's just like almost calming it's like that's how defense is supposed to look well josh is um, just like everywhere like josh is just like energy you know embo- yeah, yeah, embodied. Yeah, yeah. whereas whereas mcdaniels is like technique embodied and technique yeah. sometimes isn't as flashy as as energy and hustle it's kind of, yeah it's kind of that yin and yang thing is good it kind of reminds me too of like josh is like more of like a lion defensively you know like you just thunderous when you see them running in a field whereas like Jaden's more of like a gazelle like it's just it's very peaceful you wouldn't hear him running you wouldn't hear him coming in the distance um Jaden's like again Jaden's like a cheetah McDaniel's like a cheetah like you don't he'll yeah, stalk. Yeah, he just stalks up on more you animal quietly. analogies let's go <laughs> <laughs> he just stalks no, up I, on I you think, quietly but he will still kill you yeah, yeah yeah and I think I think it's clear that they were the two best team defenders um so you can you can go either way um I think we both made a good case for him but I think both of those guys are in the plans for the future, I mean, Josh is a vet on this team, but he's still, I think, like 22 or something, so he's yeah. still really young. And I think if they can get his shot to come around a little bit, but then they've also already been doing good jobs of making him as a screener or you know getting him to cut more. Um, 
I think he has a I think they both have significant roles on this team going forward for a team that is obviously heavily weighted towards their offensive skill set. Yeah, yeah. Uh sixth man of the year. Hit me. This one's tough because the you know, like this one's actually really tough. Yeah. Because the roster was There was about thirty the, different sixth men for the year. Yeah. Um so I'll just this is such a cop out, but this is my answer. I'm going to say Malik Beasley only because I want to speak it into existence. <laughs> I don't think Malik ever came off the bench, but I mean, the, the nominees here are like a Jaden or a Rubio or I mean, D'Angelo Russell for a while, but um, I don't, the Wolves really didn't have a guy that would even qualify in my mind as like a six man. Really? I've got, I, I've got one who oh, I okay. think should. Okay, you go then. You I go. think I think Nas Reed is clearly the sixth man of this team. Okay, that's okay. Touche. I, I want to retract my statement. I still want Malik the, to be a sixth man. <laughs> <laughs> only because he's the the one, like you said, who consistently actually had to do it. I know Cat was out for that's a while, fair. Yep. but like, nope, you you're every, right. Everyone kind of just like rotated through that position where Nas was kind of always the guy who got twenty minutes a night off the bench. You know, when Cat was true. healthy, and, and I think Nas deserves some sort of award just for for how much he improved. And by the end, Nas, I just felt so comfortable when Nas Reed was on the floor that he could get you buckets. Like, he in that backup role, I know we spoke about him last week, me and Brendan, on the podcast, but in that backup role, he's just, he's a really, really good backup center, man. Like, I don't think, I think he's one of them guys, I think there's a few of them on this team, and maybe this is just the homer in me speaking, but... I think that Nas is one of those guys that if Minnesota win 40 games and or play the playoffs next year, Nas Reed is a guy who pretty quickly becomes nationally known as like an intriguing, you know, young guy and a really good bench talent. Because like, if you watch Minnesota consistently, you know that Nas Reed does things that, that backup centers don't usually do. Like, I think he's... He's in that little weird, you know, warm space that's between a starting center and a backup center. I think he's better than a backup center, but I don't think he can he can hang as a starter consistently in the league. And that makes him just valuable as a guy who comes off the bench because he's very good at it. He He's, you know, increased every one of his stats. He shot the ball better. He became uh, automatic around the rim. Like, I don't know when the hell that happened, but, like, I feel like Nas Reed never missed the layup you know, in a pick and roll or a hook shot all season. And then he hits threes too. And he became a way better defender. And he can jump over a piece of paper now. Yeah, he's doing 180 reverse dunks on in transition. Like, I don't know, man. I don't know if this is just me thinking Nas should get a sixth man. Tell me if I'm wrong, but, but you know, or an award. But I think Nas was the sixth man of this team, considering how inconsistent the, the rotation was. I had the single worst answer for this for six man of the year, <laughs> but because you just eloquently just flirted about Nas Reed, I'm just going to go straight into my most improved player. Right. Cause that was Nas Reed. Yeah. So let's just All keep right. the ball yeah. rolling. Yeah. Like it, right. it was, it was Nas Reed. It was not even close. Like I know what Ant did, but you're talking about a guy that went first overall that had a pedigree of, you know, possibly being a superstar. I mean, he had a lot of uh, flaws that were dissected in the draft process, but they talked about, I mean, you go first overall in a draft for a reason. You have star potential. And he technically didn't play last year. Like, so technically, you know, second half ant versus half first half ant is a, is a conversation, but he also didn't play. So. Right. And not for Nas Reed, like you said, I I think we both have been perfected that analogy of like, I do remember specifically, I think it was 2019 summer league watching this, 
kind of gangly dude out of LSU who was undrafted on their summer league team. And I always say this, like he couldn't jump over the free throw line. And it wasn't like MJ jumped from the free throw line. He couldn't jump over it. He had to go around the free throw line because he <laughs> displayed no athleticism whatsoever. Um, and to see the the shape that he's like, the, just the development of his body. I mean, I thought Jim Pete talked about on a on a on a game once that he had lost like thirty pounds. Yeah, over a over a extended period of time. But you can see it. Like you go back and pull up an LSU game that he played in. Like he is completely different. And he would you'd get him like rolling down the middle of the lane, and he would just yam on guys. And it was crazy because he was like, he finished at the rim his rookie season for a first couple months, like Ricky Rubio does, yeah. like with like soft floaters and layups. And now he's just looking to punish people. And it's like, he was shooting, it, he was shooting eight, nine, 10 threes a game when he started getting minutes last season, because he couldn't do anything else. Like he couldn't yep. get to the rim because he wasn't fast enough or athletic enough to deal with it. Like I didn't think he'd stick in the league. I'll be bl- brutally honest about that. And now listen to me. I just said, he's one of the best backup bigs in the league. And I you know, stand by and, that. And if you look at like who actually is going to win most improved player in the NBA, it's dudes who are awesome. Like Julius Randle should take that trophy and run run away with it. Um, and like Jeremy Grant was really good, and obviously like Michael Porter Jr. So like those guys are different stratosphere. But like it'll be interesting to see how many like people get votes or like if they break down the votes for like the top ten. Because I mean I could see Nas Reed hitting like the ten spot. Like, I mean, just when you go back from where he was like a bum after his, I mean, a 10th guy on the team to like now we're putting him as like, I mean, I, I think Nas Reed is, I do think Nas Reed could start in the NBA. I think, think there's enough teams that you start to look at some of those teams who they throw out at center. Nas Reed could start. Could he start on a playoff team? That's another topic. Um, and yeah, his value, I, think that, I think that's how I look at it is if, you know, I believe you're a, a good starting beat if you're a guy who can impact winning on a playoff team. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's too, it's crazy too, because like I, Nas Reed is definitely a big part of the future for this team as well. He's on one of the Gupta special contracts. Um, but he's, he's, he's such a weird, I was talking about this with someone else the other day. He's such a weird player to evaluate from a value standpoint because he's so much better than what his contract is. But like, how do you trade a guy that makes like $1 million? Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's impossible. So I think he'll definitely be, the backup center to Carl next year. Um, that seems like a, a lock. And I also think too, it was really impressive going back to my MVP uh, to see how Chris Finch utilized him more alongside Carl. Like that was really awesome sometimes because it took some of the bumping and bruising away from Carl and Nas. Nas likes to bump and bruise guys. He's a physical player. So he was awesome. He was my most improved and I would imagine he was yours, but I'll, I'll th- tee up. He wasn't, but let me hit you with... And Nas, a couple Nas stats just before we, we yes, move on no, from him, do, just because he, he wasn't mine. So here's his field goal percentage, you know, by distance, which is just, you know, your basic kind of basketball reference numbers. From two-point percentage last year, he shot 46.6%. This year, he shot 59.7% from two. He shot 70% from within three feet this season. He shot 59% from within th- uh, three feet last season. He shot 46.4% from between 3 and 10 feet, which is kind of like, you know, hook shot, floater. He doesn't really shoot floaters. So let's say hook shot, you know, post move range. Last season, he shot 25%. So he shot 21% better this season. And then he shot better on threes, 35% to 33%. And he had 43 dunks this season and 12 last season. So 
But so when I when I tweeted out from Canis that if he keeps this up, he should be in the MVP discussion in 2023. I wasn't even making a hot take. A whole whole of fame, <laughs> like, whole whole like of that, fame that, trajectory. That's, that's I mean the, the the stuff the the stat you read about the within three feet. I mean, again, you're light years smarter than I am about stats, but that just is a clear indication that that dude was just dunking the ball more. Yeah, and he, is, he shot he shot 5% more of his shots from within three feet and shot, <clears throat> sorry, uh, 12% better. Like, that's yeah. that's bonkers. Like, you know, that's... And, and, uh, and this opens up a can of worms that I don't want to get to now, but just going forward, like, the nice thing about him was is that when you looked at all the other guys on the Wolves' front line that, that they played... It was, you know, Vanderbilt's, uh, Jane McDaniels, all these, like, very skinny guys. And despite Nas losing 30 pounds, he still has some meat on him. And it was just, it was refreshing sometimes for them to put out a guy next to Carl who wasn't, you know, 6'10", 140. <laughs> so it was it was just nice for him to have a partner sometimes that could kind of bump because I think, and we're going to see it in these playoffs, but you're starting to see kind of a, a new era again in the NBA as it pivots from one one, you know, strength to the other. And we're kind of back into the low-key the 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 year of the big man and i think that's going to translate again next year i mean some of the best teams the two biggest mvp candidates are Jokic and Embiid, um and anthony davis you saw what he did and like just having having multiple big guys is a good thing and the fact that they have Nas drafted him out of the mud or signed him out of the mud undrafted and then are paying him next to nothing um just a huge huge coup for this team and uh it, it was awesome so you're so you're I'll throw it back up again. Your most improved player for the Wolves this year was? Uh, I went with Jared Vanderbilt. I think that... Okay. He, I, oh, I think that he doesn't get okay. the... You know, he he didn't end as good as as Nas did or as, you know, second half Anthony Edwards, who were my two honorable mentions there. But I just think, like, Jared Vanderbilt hadn't been even, you know, the... Jared Vanderbilt was an idea that we had seven months into a nine-month off-season that, you know, to keep us, our brains occupied and our, you know, fingers typing for for a month. Like, he wasn't, he was not, he hasn't ever been an NBA player who's even shown that he's capable of stepping onto a court. And, you know, he obviously has the pedigree coming from Kentucky and he was a McDonald's All-American. John Krasinski wrote a really good piece about him over at The Athletic yeah, yeah. Uh, last week or early this week if you if you want to know more about kind of Vando's background, but I think that, you know, to, by, I kind of went by the, the definition of the award, I guess, that, there's a, that he wasn't an NBA player last season. I think by the end, I think throughout the season, he, he worked his way into the rotation. Then he fell out of it because obviously he's, he's shooting limitations kind of don't, don't lend itself to this team's philosophy. But then he worked his way back into it again, better than ever, to end the season on a team that was actually winning games. Because the things that he does are super valuable. He He's the guy, he probably deserves a mention with Josh and Jaden yeah. in, in the Defensive yeah, Player of the sure. Year you know, sure. conversation. Because he, by all advanced metrics, which I don't necessarily always trust, especially when, when we watch a team as much as Minnesota. Like, I, I think we know that Josh and McDaniels are probably better defenders than, than Vando. But Vando blew everyone on the team out of the water in every defensive metric. He was he, he is he's this team. I mean, again, let me compare marshmallows to igloos, like <laughs> without people freaking out. But he is this team's Dennis Rodman. Yeah, like yeah. what? Like offensively, he has pretty much the same skill set, which is not much. But um, defense. I mean, again, he's not Dennis Rodman defensively. But I'm just saying, like the role that they 
Chris Finch has utilized him as this like throw him out on the wing, have him switch, like have him guard on the perimeter sometimes. Like he's very physical. He's not afraid to go for loose balls. Like he, he he's the rim. guy who gets the matchups that McDaniel's can't handle physically usually. Yep. Jimmy, yep. Jimmy yep. Butler, like I think Jimmy Butler, you know, got a Vando taste. Um, Zion got a little bit of him. McDaniel's and him kind of kind of rotated on him, but I, I just think that he he adds he clear value uh, defensively. I think he does what you know he still can't catch the ball very well, but in his role offensively, he's pretty you know, successful. He can put the ball in the hoop. He can dunk the ball. He's a good roller. He's good, you know, dunker spot kind of guy. And then he's a tenacious rebounder, which we knew about him, but like, he's just a refreshing guy to have on the court. Maybe it stands out more on a team that just gives up some of the most demoralizing offensive rebounds to the opposition. (laughs) Uh, But he, in the games that they win, you know, you go back and you watch it through the lens of, of an opposition fan, of the of the other team's fan, and Jared Vanderbilt is that guy that that you complain about after the game, saying, how is this dude can keep getting offensive rebounds when we, when we get a miss, you know, and we lost to the Timberwolves, you know, we couldn't get rebounds all night. Like, that's Jared Vanderbilt that's doing that, man. Like, he will just go for anything, and he normally grabs it. Like, he's he's not a very good... I, I realize that towards the end of the season when I guess I start to watch it a little bit more, he's not a very good guy. Like, he doesn't box out very often. He's not a guy who, like, creates rebounds for other people. He just fucking jumps up there and gets it himself, man. Like, Yeah, but as Chris Finch said in his po- uh, his end-of-season media stuff, with all due respect to the players on his team, no one boxes out. Oh, no. Not, Chris Finch, not one a of the soul. Things that, right. One of the things they asked Chris Finch, like, what are you most looking forward to for, like, off-season having a full training camp? He literally talked about teaching the fundamentals of basketball, which is not, like, a diss. I mean, you, when you coach the youngest team in the league – Sometimes you have to hammer those things home, but I don't think anyone on this team boxes out. Um, yeah. But t- to your point, I mean, I think Jared Vanderbilt was one of the more flagrant offenders of that, but that's because he was just like so good at just finding the ball no matter what. He didn't have to, yeah. I have to box out guys in, in rec leagues because that's a lack athleticism. He could just go get the ball. Well, that he, he, he didn't box out like the rest of the guys didn't box out, but he could at least make up for some of it because he could rebound. Like exactly, a lot of the other exactly, guys were, yeah, yeah. weren't boxing out and they were standing on the perimeter, you know, watching the the fake crowd. Like it's and yeah. and something to something to mention here as we're doing this in May. He just turned twenty two years old uh, in early April, um, and I think as you give us really good stats, I like to give you my fundamental basic stats. He's played ninety two games in the league. So 92 games is essentially, if you think about it, like in the in the olden days or when we get back post-COVID, you had seven preseason games, right? Um, and then you had an 82-game season. So if you think about it, it seems like Jared Vanderbilt's been in the league forever because he was you know, on that Denver team and then he was traded and he's just been here longer than a lot of guys because the Wolves roster has been completely flipped upside down. But he's pretty much like Jaden McDaniels. Like he, he's only played you know, a dozen or so games over a full regular typical season. So um, I think he he's another storyline to mention or to monitor this year. Um, he he is a restricted free agent and it'll be I interesting. I hope he's to back, s- man. I hope he's back. I, I do too. I do too. I just, it'll be interesting to see what he gets. Like, does he get like a Jake Lehman contract? Um, the Wolves have shown a propensity for being good with restricted free agents and, and really using that to their advantage. So. I think It'll the, be a big, I do think the layman yeah. the layman kind of value is about the most though that you could swing for him. Like 
if some team comes in and offers him six million dollars of their mid-level exception, you have to let him go. Yeah, I don't yeah. think they will. But you know, a lot of teams are kind of analytically driven and ana- <clears throat> sorry, analytically kind of um, inclined. And if if he's an, anal- an analytics darling, you know, like he's one of them guys who just pops on the analytics all the time. So yep, yep. If he um. You know, a team could definitely come and, and and make a play for him that's a little bit more than Timberwolves can afford, and I would understand them letting him go. But if you can get him back on a minimum or on you know three million a year, uh, I think you have to do it. So that was my most Im- that was your most improved. Let's go into this next. Explain this next tier a little bit to me of these awards. Like, t- what are, what are we thinking here? Let's start with most surprising. Let's, Was that let's most take surprising a break. Let's take a quick, most surprising player? Let's take a quick okay. break, and then we'll come down back to the ones that aren't, you know, real awards. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Okay, we are back. Uh, before the break, you asked me to kind of explain what the these last few awards are. Uh, these ones are, are more kind of off-the-top awards. They're obviously not given out during the season. Uh, the first one I want to start with is most surprising. So whether it was a player, you know, a moment, I guess. Um, I do have best moment coming up a bit later as a, as a spoiler, but... Most surprising player or, or moment, who do you think kind of, you know, caught your eye this year? I think there's an obvious answer there, but I know that you like to, to zig when we when everyone else <laughs> So So, you know, what are you thinking? Well, okay. So you and I have talked a lot offline, and I know you think I know what I'm going to say here, but most surprising player to me was D'Angelo Russell. Um, right. if, right. if, 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 this is, if this is a real ballot... I have to put Jaden's name on here, right? Because that came out of nowhere. But the D'Angelo Russell thing, as you and I have talked about before, um, I was just blown away all season by the fact that he showed. I mean, the, the, the play kind of spoke. The, the play in the beginning of the season was really bad. Um, he, when Carl was out and Ant was struggling and Ryan was the coach, I don't think that's a great environment for a guy like D'Angelo Russell. I think he needs specific environments to to really take off. Um, and it was pretty toxic. And we had kind of known before, you know, it was common knowledge that he was hurt and he was dragging one leg around. Um, so when he came back from that leg injury uh, and was totally okay coming off the bench, uh, totally okay just doing whatever the team needed to win. And he's a max player. He's a, you know, he's sometimes thought of as a top 10 point guard or, you know, he's making that type of money. So I was just surprised by who, who he was off the court, who he was as a teammate. Like, I knew what his game was coming in, and I thought his game over the season kind of looked like what his game looked like in Brooklyn or that short stint in Golden State. But uh, as a teammate, I love the shit he did. He, like I said, he was the first one to be in on Jaden McDaniels before being in on Jaden McDaniels was cool. 
Um, but did you think? Do you think he beat you to that punch? No, no, you? no. That's a great question, Jake. And the answer is no. Um, I was still, I think, on that first. But, but no. I mean, he he also had two. This was in poor taste. Again, I liked, I liked the message. I didn't like the way it was delivered. But when when Lamelo Ball went down with that wrist injury, he uh, he tweeted out like right away, like Ant Rookie of the Year. Again, poor taste. Maybe don't do it seconds after Lamelo's ruled out for eight weeks. But he's just he's he was really supportive of the young guys you talk to people around the team too they're like yeah he was always great in practices and on you know on the road with with the young guys and helping them out even guys like Nas Reed and stuff um and then that whole coming off the bench thing I mean I'll just I'll just never get over that I thought that was like a huge moment for a guy that you know as a teammate has always kind of known for the the Lakers thing with Nick Young or some of the other kind of questionable immature things and he was just for him to say yeah I'll come off the bench and on a losing team that's destined for the lottery, I thought was really cool. And it allowed this team to kind of figure other things out before, you know, it allowed Ant to kind of take off. And then DeAndre's right. like, I'll just slide back in when, when, it, when I'm ready. So I was really most surprised because again, I had heard a lot of shit about what that guy was like as a teammate coming in. And I was surprised because I didn't see that he could have been on a team that lost, you know, 26 or 27 more games and they won. Um, he could have been an asshole and made this whole thing really toxic. And I thought he was always a real big kind of, you know, team before me type guy. So again, the most surprising performance of the year is obviously Jaden. And I'm, I might tee this one up for you because that might be your answer. But I just, I'll, I'll, one of the biggest takeaways from this season, and I'm, that's what gets me amped for next year, is that I think D'Angelo Russell has matured a little bit. And he's one of the guys that has to lead the team. I mean, I know he's only like what, 25, 26, right? But this team is a bunch of dudes who are 21 and 20. So he has to be a leader. And I thought he showed some pretty impressive leadership skills over, over the, over the course of this season. But is, is Jaden your answer? I mean, is that yeah. the yeah. Jay- right one? Jaden's my answer, but, I, and we've spoken about Jaden already. And, you know, it's, that's kind of a, a pretty simple home run answer. You know, like Jaden was not meant to play at all. And he ended up being, you know, an integral part of the future. A guy that gets mentioned in every Gerson Rose's press conference is one of the core, you know, five guys. So I think that's obvious. But I do, I don't think that, you know, we've spoken about McDaniels. I'd like to speak a little bit more about D'Lo because I'm on the fence. I completely agree with you. But then I'm also, it's also kind of like, was it not forced because I think that he is a really good teammate. I think he did a really good, a lot of really good things. I don't think Ant is anywhere near the player he was in the second half of the season. If D'Lo doesn't kind of, you know, take a back seat and yep. let Ant yep. do what Absolutely. he needs to do. But I, then I also think, you know, how much it's 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 good self awareness. But I think how much choice does he have if he comes in and he, you know, Jimmy Butler's the shit. You know, that he he's not going to end up you know, in with one home for the rest of his career. He's already kind of spent all his his last chances, I think, in the league to to make an impression. He's been traded, what, four times now? Uh or three times. Yeah, yeah I, mean, so. I mean it's 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 wild to think of, you know, he D'Angelo Russell has a, a strong fan base. Um the, the of, of supporters. But I mean, you know, he he's a very talented player. He's making max money. Um and I think at some points over the season, you know, people that cover the team or even fans were down on him, uh, too a little for a little too severe. But at the same point, you bring up a huge point. Like he's been on four teams and he's like twenty five or twenty six, 
He's been yeah. kicked around by a bunch of teams that every time he, he can't afford he can't afford to be to make a, a toxic situation more toxic and and really rubber stamp that reputation onto himself. Like yeah, every team that every team that got rid of him got better. <laughs> like when the Lakers moved yeah. him, they eventually won a title, and the Nets got rid of him, and look what happened. And now the Warriors. I mean, they obviously weren't good. They didn't make the playoffs, but they had a better season. So I think I think it's a good point. I'm glad you kind of built on my weird answer to this one but I think I think he might have had some self-awareness and he might have done some you know big reflecting and again I think you make a specific point about and we will never know you know but some of Ant's development might have just been that he didn't have to worry about other guys trying to eat out there right away and it, it allowed Ant to kind of you know, start games and be a little more aggressive because Dilo was coming off the bench so that that was surprised me um your answer Jaden I mean Jade we could I don't know how much time you got, but we could do Jaden for 24 <laughs> hours, but it, w- it was cool. They had some really cool surprising moments um, and surprising yeah. players, and that's kind of what made, you know, a team that goes 23 and 49 or whatever, it makes it kind of a, a fun experience when you have some of those stories that you had no idea. You had no idea D'Angelo Russell would be such a good welcoming teammate, and you had no idea Jaden McDaniels would ball the fuck out, and that's what he did, <laughs> so. Yeah, there's a bunch of them like that. I think it's a good point that you make that, this season could have been a lot worse without those performances, without Nas Reed, you know, that we already spoke about, kind of blossoming into this athletic center, you know, Vanderbilt out my most improved player, becoming a player who can actually, you know, survive in a rotation. Like it's it's been a, a fun twenty three win season, if that's if that's even possible. So Moving one, on. that I, one that I'd like to like, let's not say that again though. Like that's such a great <laughs> way to hammer home. Like it'd be cool to have like a fun forty five win season. Moving on. <laughs> um, who was your most disappointing player? There's an answer to this. There, okay. I won't try to zig or zag on this one. Let's just let's yeah, not beat around the bush. You, yeah, you can't get around this one. Um, it's Jared Culver. Uh, yeah. There's there's no two ways around it. Um, he had a really down rookie season, but that was, you know, I'll, I'll go to my grave saying, you know, it's okay that Jared had a, a bad rookie season because there he didn't get to play in summer league back in 2019 because of the rules on trades and stuff. Um, and he was just kind of thrust into a really weird year as they were experimenting, and then they ship off, you know, half the team. Um, and then he doesn't get a summer league in 2020 because of the pandemic. So he just has never really had a chance to kind of get his feet wet. Obviously, he was injured this year. But the thing the thing that I take away from just being disappointed is that in his, his rookie year, he played 63 games, which I think was like every game of that COVID-shortened season. Uh, and the second one, a season that had 72 games, he played 34. Everything across the board, all of his splits, you know, just dropped. Um, he just took a step back, and he was already way, way behind. So it sucks. Um, I don't know where to go with it. Like, I don't know what to say. Like, he, again, he was injured, and it's so hard to bash on a guy who was injured. But uh, but how like, long... We don't know how long he was injured for, and he right. like, he wasn't good. He wasn't good from from game one. You know what I mean? Like outside of the preseason, where we all got super Jarrett Culver hyped and drank that Kool Aid. Like he wasn't good all season, and, and even before he was, you know, too injured to to play, he he was already out of the rotation. Getting you know DNP's coach's decisions. Like he's just the team was just a lot worse when Jared Culver was on the floor, man. Like it, it was, it's hard to get around. And like as, as much as I kind of, I feel, I think more than any, you know, there's been a slew of, of Timberwolves rookies who have kind of come in and 
disappointed us. Like, that's not new. But more than any of them, I think I feel for Jarrett Tolbert because you can just see it's so obvious how much it affects him mentally and how yeah, yeah. and how much, you know, the mental side of the game kind of plays into his game. Um, but he just, he can't get over that, you know, that hump that kind of not only, not only lives, let, lets him live up to his draft expectations, but just allows him to even be a rotation player. Like the Timberwolves were 9.5 points worse per 100 possessions this season. And he played 455 minutes. Like, that's 13th percentile. Cut that. Cut that from league. this. I don't want people to hear that. That was embarrassing. That and they were and they were actually better with him on defensively. They were 0.3 points per 100 possessions better defensively. That's how bad he was offensively. Seventh percentile in terms of off and on numbers. Like <laughs> Jesus. Second percentile in terms of effective field goal percentage. The team's effective field goal percentage dropped six percent when he was on the floor. Like that's just you can't overcome that. Well, and and you said a good point. Like, we don't know how long he was hurt, but we know he wasn't hurt all season. Right. Um, and I think we talked about this offline, but, like, when Chris Finch came over, uh, I think Chris showed a propensity to just be like, okay, I'll, I'm down to be really flexible early on. Uh, I'm down to kind of test the waters. And despite him him and Gers are really close, I think he did Gers a favor and was like, yeah, you know what, I'll throw Jarrett in the, in the rotation. Um because I think you had pointed this out to me that a lot of Jarrett's minutes during the per- first part of Chris Finch's tenure was first first half minutes, right? Like he would throw him out there for six to eight minutes, and then it was bad, as the stats prove just said. It. And then prove he did, it minutes. Yep, like, and he didn't get back in the second half. Yep. Yeah, prove to me that you deserve to be on the floor in the second half, and he just never did. So, so I mean, when you when you start to look forward and you start to think about you know as we just constantly get just warmer and warmer in our in our seats for Leandro Balmero highlights and stuff like there 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 comes a point where it's like I still believe in Jarrett Culver like I still think we could see Jarrett Culver have a career that lasts possibly into his 30s um but it's not going to be I just don't I'm pretty firm on this like I, I don't think it's here like I don't think he's on the roster next year I think he's set to make a little over six million next year and then it's eight million the following year after that um that doesn't sound like a lot of money, but it's like also twice what Jake Lehman makes. And Jake Lehman it's, can give you like active minutes. It's a lot of money if you can't get on the floor. Yeah. Like we could, like we spent a whole season complaining about Juan Johan and Gomez and, you know, the the contract that he was given. But like Jared Hall was gonna make more, you know, the season after next and, and pretty much similar next season. And and Wancho can at least give you, you know, backup power forward minutes or like occasionally have a good night like at the moment like was there you know was there a single game this season that Jarrett Culver played really well like it no, was kind no. of you know the quote unquote Jarrett Culver game like there's got to be like I feel for him and I, I agree like there's potential to be tapped clearly I don't know if it's going to be here I think the game style doesn't fit him I think the the philosophical kind of way that that uh rosas and and finch view the game doesn't fit his style but you know he's gonna be tough to move like do you think you know before we move on do they do you think they can move him like do you think they have to attach something to move him or do you think someone would would take a chance on him i think i and i don't know if i'm the first one to have this like analogy or this comparison but i think he just has to have that markel fultz treatment where you just put him in a completely different uh just setting like I said, uh, whether it be philo- like philosophical, like the way that the team plays, or just a completely new area, um, maybe you send. I mean, like I know this isn't a take, but like 
the Spurs, you know, being bounced from the playoffs. They are kind of in a rebuild with DeRozan leaving. They have all these pieces. They don't have a lot of young guys. Um, the Rockets are in the same boat. Like they don't have a lot of young guys. They might they might lose their lottery pick depending on how the balls fall. So um, maybe putting him in a spot like that where there's just no expectations. I mean, yes, the, if you want to be pro Jared Culver, he's 22 years old, right? So he has a lot of development maybe left. But when it comes back to the Wolf side of it, 22 means he's already older than Ant. He's already older than Jaden. He's already older than like Balmero. Like, and we're talking about you know a backcourt that if you don't move Ricky Rubio, you don't move Malik Beasley. Like Russell Beasley, Rubio, Ant, like Jalen Noel a little bit. Like who? Where does Jarrett Culver get minutes? He's not better than yeah. Josh. He's not better than Jaden. He's not better than whoever else they bring in too. So, um, and next year, and next year, you know they they're gonna be trying to win games. Like they yes, don't really yes, have time to yes. give you know guys minutes because. They were high draft picks. Like they have to give guys minutes because they help the team win. And right now, unless Jarrett Culver, you know, which he very well might, goes full, you know, beast mode in in training camp and in preseason, it just it seems unlikely and unfair that he would get minutes over someone like Jalen Noel. Or, yeah, and yeah, and you know, and you had a good question. I'm you're you're so much smarter about trades than I am, but like I I find it hard to believe that he would have to be like attached to something. Like you might get. Like if he's making six point eight million next year, you might get six point eight million back of close to dog shit of like a veteran. But if that veteran helps you, you know, like hypothetically, if you can get the next Ed Davis that becomes your pseudo assistant coach on the bench or whatever that, or even if sl- it's just an expiring, maybe yeah, it's just yeah. a guy who's expiring. Like you yeah. just you can just shave off one million. Uh, is is that eight million dollar you know cap hit? Is that a team option? Yeah, it is. So yeah. They're not going to pick that up. There is no way they're going to give him $8 million willingly. No, and I don't have it on me. I don't have it on me right now when they have to yeah. do that by. But yeah. again, it'll be, it just, I think it's like towards the end of next season, isn't it? Okay. Okay. So, yeah, I just, again, I, I think without being like Woj, I, I just think some oh, oh, interesting one to keep an eye on, well, if they move him, would be one of those Texas teams because to kind of close this loop, but also circle back to a really good point you said, like, I think for Jared, it's always been just as much mental if it, as it's been anything. I don't think it's physical. I think he has a good basketball body. I think he has good athleticism, but he's and a- players can get away with not being able to shoot. And you know, as long as you you can, and he's a good defender. Like players can get away with doing that, but he lets the whole mental thing just yeah. kind of. So he might need to get back to you know he spent a lot of time. He grew up in Lubbock, Texas. He might need to get back down to closer to family, closer to. You know, he's got really religious family. Um, my, that might be best for him. So I, I could see him being dumped. Um, he's as much as I'm excited about next season, and I'm excited for like every guy, and I'm optimistic. I don't have any optimism towards him, and I think that should yeah. be the clearest of red flags for anyone who listens to us on the regular. Is like, if I'm down on a guy, it's like <laughs> shit. He's got to you got to get rid of him. So, so I think we're both we both agreed on that one, right? Like that's here's yeah. the trophy. Most disappointing, yeah. Jared Culver. Yeah, what a nice trophy to put in your, on your mental piece. <laughs> uh, right, let's sad. rattle off a few kind of you yep. know quick ones, quick fire ones before we before we wrap this up. What was the best moment of the season? In game moment or or off the court, I guess, but not not you know a specific player, but something that player did or or the team did. Okay, I'm gonna say again. I know what people think the best moment was. The best one for me was that win against the Suns down in Phoenix. Uh, they Ant and Carl combined for 83 points, I believe. It was Ant's career high at the time. Um, I know they beat the Jazz multiple times. I know Ant had a veracity of different dunks. 
a lot of funny things in media. But to me, as someone who's just clung to things that don't matter in the past, and you know, I'm always like, I like social media stuff because I cheer for one of the worst teams in sports. Um, that one was a sweet moment for me because it looked it was against one of the title contenders in the league. I think the Suns. I liked the Suns entering the postseason more than the Jazz. Um, and they just they just they couldn't stop Ant. They couldn't throw Crowder at him. They couldn't throw you know any wing they had on him. And that's kind of what we want this to look like going forward, right? Like we as much as we like D'Lo, as much as Carl and Ant can carry this franchise, that's as far as this is going to go. So seeing those two just run pick and roll and unable to be stopped, and Ant had a big dunk in that game as well. The smile he had post game, him and Carl embracing at half court. Um, that's kind of when the season turned around a little bit. I mean, they would end up losing the next night, I think, to in a back-to-back to Phoenix anyway, but it was close. They had the game. They choked it away. So that was like the first real authentic to me, like, oh, shit. Like, we might have won some games before and Ant looked cool, but this is like, this This guy could be a star. And I think that game was, I don't know if it was broadcast nationally, but it, it was just a big moment. And I remember Twitter that night was like, oh, this dude is, this dude has something. So that that was my best moment because it actually involved like real you know, basketball, like concrete things that I could like yeah. look forward to and daydream about in the future. So what was yours? Tangible, tangible success. Yeah. Like, your, yours, give, give the real answer. What was yours? It's Anthony Edwards' dunk, isn't it? Yeah. It's got a bit, that, that is the most, I've said to you before, but this is the most, that's the most excited I've probably been, you know, since KG crossed over Chris Webber um, in, in the playoffs. Like that, you know, on a single play, I jumped out of my seat, almost put a hole in the roof. I, you know, the 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 police almost got called because I screamed like a murder victim. Like it was just, I don't know, it was cool, and it was like one of them ones where, I had a, you, like you know, any any big play, any big dunk, you just for that split second before it, you, you just you can see it happening. Like when he gets that open lane, and you're like, holy shit, is this gonna happen? And then it happens even. More than you'd ever expect. He bounces off Watanabe, you know, almost puts his head through the ceiling. Like, it, but that was just an awesome dunk. Probably a top five in-game dunk ever. Uh, it, it was just, in a season that had no real, you know, like I guess, there wasn't a lot of times where I just was like standing up in my lounge room hyped where I could be an actual fan and not just as someone who was analyzing the game to write an article or to do a podcast like that was when I just could let my complete fan boy come out of me and I enjoy that like uh, it's you know it doesn't happen too often on the in on this team and that Anthony Edwards dunk was you know that might be my phone screensaver for the rest of my life and and you're not being like I just want this clear you're not being a homer for saying that was like a top five in-game dunk of all time I don't have all the other ones like in front of me but that was easily a top five just I mean that that I've never seen anything like that right like the two dunks of the year were that and bridges for the hornets yeah. but the bridges one happened like just snap like it just kind of all of a sudden happened right like he just showed up out of nowhere and dunked I think he what yammed on Capella the Anthony yeah. Edwards one was crazy because when he got the ball and he, he had like two or three like dribbles or steps it like was a build-up and yeah. like it like it lived up to the hype it's kind of like I saw it coming and I remember like my breath like like sitting up and then as soon as he just finished it. And then like, you know, all the stuff that happened after, right? Like Jane McDaniel showed more emotion after that. He just had this disgusting look on his face. Like <laughs> like 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 a face you would have when you see someone get killed. Um and Ants <laughs> looking up at the Jumbotron and Dave Benz did a great job on the call. So that that and was the that photo, was, the photos like the, you know, Cody Sharrett 
Um, yeah. I think I think Shabazz Khan as well. I, I don't know. There was two different photos that came out, and they were both just like all-time classic photos. Um, and, and it was just a fun Yeah, moment. photos, like merch. I mean, shout out to our guy, Jake Graffs. Uh, he has a really good t-shirt that just has it. And it's on go- underneath this jumper. I have yeah. the, I have a shirt with that dunk on underneath this jumper. <laughs> That's so sick. So no, that was that was the best moment, and that was like one of the purest moments ever because it was just, again, it was a basketball play that it was just showed you, holy shit, we've never really watched or covered a guy like this. I mean, that what Andrew Wiggins had a couple poster dunks, but they were not on that level. And it's yeah. like, wow, I've you know, it was like seeing a unicorn. I've never seen one the before. The last one, the last one that got me hype, like similar in, in a similar way to that, was when Zach Levine posted Alex Len. That okay. was okay. That, that was, was good. one where I, that was a really good one. Like that was one where I, I I screened as well. Good throwback. I thought you were gonna say this. Um, remember when the Wolves were playing the Clippers and they had brought Kevin Garnett back? Oh and yeah, that's yeah. Rubio. I think it was Rubio. Yeah, dropped off yeah. that pass for Kevin Garnett, and he just dunked all over Blake Griffin, and that's when young Carl was dunked like dunked it back to two thousand and four. Yeah, and Carl Anthony, there's like a great video of Carl Anthony Towns like losing his mind, right? Because he's like <laughs> idolizes Kevin Garnett, and Kevin Garnett just dunked on at the time one of the best players in the league. So, though I haven't felt like that way, like you said, for I mean, damn near five to ten years. So that was a yeah. that was a good moment. Um. All right. I'll I'll go worst loss first, so we can end this on a bit of a, a brighter note. Um. Okay, that's fair. What was the what what was the worst loss of the season? Um, well, there there was a lot of them to talk about. Um, <laughs> There's uh 50 nominees for this one and they're all pretty close. So, I think I think the worst loss on paper would have looked like the Hornets one going into the All-Star break. They lost 135 to 102. They looked lifeless. It was, um, I think it was built, it was hyped up because it was LaMelo who was balling at the time versus Ant. Um, it was right before the All-Star break and the team just looked so flat. They did have Chris Finch running the shit. So like you felt even worse because it's like, I thought this guy was going to help us and they, we look just like we did under Ryan Saunders. Um, so that might be a good answer. But to me, if we're talking about emotions, like we just did with Ant's dunk or all that stuff, when Cole Anthony hit that shot, I, uh. I don't even know if I really want to talk about it anymore. Like I, I, I just it was it was like watching a train coming at you from a hundred miles away, and you know the train's coming because they just kept. I mean, I think they got outscored by like thirty in the second half. Um, it was just brutal. It was brutal the way it happened. It was if you go back and listen to it, the call from Dave Benz is just oh. demoralizing. Jim Pete is disgusted. <laughs> like it's just it was. I haven't. I always expect the worst for the Wolves. Right. That's. You sign you sign that in your contract when you support this team, and I still didn't even like fully think that that was possible, and it happened. And then for them to run off the court, it was just I, so I'll after, never watch two, that game again. Two, <laughs> after two missed free throws as well, I think that's the context that you need. If you, yep. you don't, you're lucky enough not to watch that game. Two missed free throws from Vanderbilt. You know what? Two seconds left. No timeouts. Cole Anthony takes the ball full court, hits a leaning thirty footer from the side of the court. Unbelievable! They were up by you know fifteen, sixteen in the last quarter as well. Last night I watched Spiral, the the Saw movie. <laughs> there was some pretty brutal death scenes in that, and none of them were as brutal as Cole Anthony hitting that game winner. Okay, so that is a that is a 
Great reference. I and and too like context matters a little bit. This was back. This loss occurred back in January. Is this your loss too? Are we just gonna yeah, agree? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was back in January where they were just getting their ass kicked. You know, Ryan's coaching. They're losing a bunch of games, pretty in blowout fashion. Um, they had they had gotten their Grizzlies game postponed, then they went down to Atlanta, got just spanked by the Hawks. And one of do you, I don't know if you remember this. I think that was Martin Luther King Day. It was on a Monday, and it was one of the worst basketball games I've ever watched. Yeah. Like so, yeah. they come off that, they come home. Uh, they're playing the Magic. I think that was the game that yeah they outscored the Magic thirty to ten in the second quarter. So like, spirits are high, and then it just derailed one poor Ryan Saunders decision after the other. They missed those two free throws. I think that throws. was the nail. I think that was the nail in Ryan's coffin. I think at that well, point I'm- had. Yeah, he, he had a hundred nails had, in it. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't getting out of that coffin. But like, it, I, that was the one where I thought to myself, like, there is no way that, that he can turn this around anymore. Again, for anyone that's listening, I think Spiral is just uh, one of the new Saw movies, and it's just about murder and a lot of death. And for Jake to th- compare that to this loss should tell you that this is far and away <laughs> the, the the worst loss. So yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. Let's let's pick things up. You want to do best win? Yeah, best win for me. You already mentioned it. It's a Phoenix game. So, do you have another one in mind? An honorable mention. We we spoke about the Phoenix game. Like Ant scored. I think Ant and Carl both had forty one or forty two and forty one, something like that. It was an awesome game. Phoenix were the fourth best defense in the league at that time. Those two just picked that defense apart. And you know, there's there's big wins and then there's big wins where your two franchise centerpieces kind of you know lead you to those big wins. So that yeah, that was mine for me. Is there so, another one that sticks out? Oh, everyone's if you've listened to this this far, you're like, wow, everything Kyle says is so like dumb and zigzagging. But so my best moment was that Suns game, but my best win was that Pelicans game right after the All Star break, where they just ran the Pelicans out by like 32 points. And I say that because I think I think going into the All Star break was probably the lowest I felt all year, which is pretty incredible because i felt low a lot like so did you but i mean just to just to get pummeled at home by 30 with this new coach that everyone says is really good you go into the all-star break where all you talk about is just sad things because there's nothing really positive to talk about um and i think it was maybe maybe if it's not the best one it was the most surprising because they came out and after i think the first quarter they were they were down down in new orleans but they just turned it up and they just kicked the pelicans ass i mean and if you go back and you do like watching games on League Pass. Like, that's a fun one to watch because they throw Jaden at Zion a lot. And it's a fucking immaculate to watch this guy who weighs 110 pounds and a guy who eats 110 pounds. Like, try to defend him. And it was crazy. And that was also, too, like, I'm a huge closet Jalen Noel fan. And I think he dropped a career high that day. Like, he was like 11 he for did. 13. He and he was a... And the kids love this, right? He was a bucket. Like, he couldn't miss. He was a problem. Yes, he was a problem. And he would – I remember specifically going screen right to left. He hit, like, a heat check where he kind of did the Carmelo Anthony, like, when you shoot and you pull your hands back really quick. He was awesome. I think the bench combined for, like, 75 points or some shit. So, uh, that, yeah, was, that, that was, was cool. That was, and it was the was first – fun game. And it kind of gave us some hope, right? Because I think from there they started to actually play close to, you know, not 500 ball, but they played better. Um, and that was a really big moment because at that time, coming out of the break, the Pelicans were like a real good playoff contender. Uh, obviously, their season derailed too. So, yeah, that that was mine. And you're, you like the Suns one? Did you have a specific yeah. reason or just like Ant and Carl went I did, off? I just think that it's just like it was just a fun game. Like because it is that reason, you know, like you want those two to mm-hmm. 
to lead you to a win. And when they do, and they do it like... And it was Ant's coming out party, which, you know, had kind of been building for a few weeks internally within the fan base. I think that we all knew what Ant could do, but it, it wasn't until that moment where he kind of announced himself to the wider NBA yeah. community that he's not just like a dude who's going to be inefficient every single game. Um, it was just, yeah, it was a fun night and, and it wasn't just a, a kind of a box score night. Like you go back and watch the game and it really felt like those two just dominated one of the best defenses in the league. So just a fun game. I, I agree with the Pelicans game. That was another one where, like the, they're the knights on Twitter after those games that that really rock, you know. And this fan base is just kind of, you know, we're proclaiming championships in game forty five, <laughs> thirteen and, and thirty four. That is that. This is just a, this is a nerdy thing, but was that Phoenix game that I picked and you picked? Was that the game that uh, Chris Finch drew up that magical play for Wancho at the end? Yeah, like so yeah. that was that it, was too like obviously it was the whole package. Yep. Yep. Like, um, it was Ant, Carl, but it was also like, oh, that was the first time I think I maybe tweeted, like, oh, Chris Finch is a fucking wizard. Like, that was <laughs> unbelievable. So, yeah, everything about that was kind of the seeds of what you and I had hoped for for uh, the rest of the season or the rest of, uh, I don't know, eternity. All right. Let's wrap this up with one yep. last category. You are, you know, you've got a mountain of hot takes in that brain of yours. <laughs> um, give me one from the season's past. Not one heading into next season, but something that about this season that would be considered a hot take. Maybe even a homer take. Uh, let your inner homer run free. I mean, I could give you a bunch. I think, uh, <laughs> I, I, but I think this is a cool question. So like using what we know now, I would say Chris Finch is the top 10 coach in the NBA. Um, and yep. I think if you think that's spicy, just wikipedia who the 30 coaches are um because it's not that impressive sometimes like i mean obviously you think of the 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 elite elite ones but i think chris finch i don't always think that like when you do a top 10 coaches list that it directly ties into what that team's winning percentage was that last year um and the thing that i like about chris finch is obviously he showed us that he is a really elite basketball mind but as the season wound down and we start to you know listen to more national podcasts and stuff. Like I remember Ryan Rossillo talked about how when Chris Finch was hired that he, uh, he got a lot of texts from execs and assistant coaches and scouts and like, Hey, I don't, if you don't know who Chris Finch is study up because that guy's one of the brightest minds in the league. Um, and he's put in his dues. He's, you know, he's coaching the G league. He's coached overseas. Uh, I thought that was really impressive. And then as you, you saw too, right. But like the Sacramento Kings beat writer, uh, tweeted out the other day that, um, that the Kings were basically after Chris Finch and that when Luke Walton was on the hot seat, and I think you would still say he should be on the hot seat, um, that when he was on the hot seat earlier this year, they were kind of, I think, looking at Chris Finch. But the tweet said that once Chris Finch was hired by the Wolves, Luke Walton's job became far more secure, which just tells you that they wanted him. So I think it was the right decision. Maybe the process of hiring Chris Finch in season was a little weird, but at the end of the day, it's a business, and Gerson Rosas is good at the cutthroat nature of the business, and he got his guy. And what Chris Finch did over those last forty some games, I thought he's one of the ten best guys in the league. I don't think it's even yeah. close. You're not even you're not gonna get any complaints from me. You know that I'm a Chris Finch stan, so I uh, I completely agree there. I'm gonna go with D'Angelo Russell in those last what was it, twenty two games of the season. I think mm-hmm. that he was pretty comfortably a top ten point guard. He okay. He was an elite passer, which I don't think gets recognized elite. quite enough. Elite. Um, 
clearly bought into the system. He shot a career high from the field. You know, I think over the season he actually shot a career high from the field, but certainly in those last uh, 22 games, he was still a great shooter, still hitting around 40% of his shots, uh, uh, his three-point shots, and usually, you know, pull-up threes, which are just the quintessential kind of shot to bend a defense. If you have a guys who can hit pull-up threes, if you're... You know, if you're watching James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant play basketball, you know that pull-up threes just warp a defense like no other shot can and open up things for everyone else. Um, and then he cut out the mid-range pretty much. Like, he shifted his game. He still hit those mid-range jumpers, but there was so much less dribbling around, you know, yep. and bad bad shot selection. He just kind of, he played off towns excellently and did it willingly as well. So, I uh, I think when he's doing that, he's a much better defender as well. I he I wouldn't say he was a good defender, but I think he was definitely closer to neutral. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. When he's if he like when he's a neutral defender, he's hitting three point shots. He can score at the rim, you know, and he's a, actually a very good cutter, which he showed in yeah. those last few games. You know, when he had guys to cut off, um, and then you know he's he's hitting threes at a high level, and he's and he's passing the ball and setting the table for everyone else. Like, I don't know what else you can really ask for a point guard that's playing with two high-usage guys as well. Like, I think he did just about all you can ask. And to me, that's a top 10 point guard and maybe even a little bit higher, six, seven, eight. And it's and it's crazy, right? Because the irony of what I said and what you said is that they kind of go hand in hand, right? They absolutely like, do. Like, Chris Finch took a guy that put people were already like, you know, fans get get fan like but they're like now we got to attach another first round pick to unload russell and it's like those those two you know best takes or hot takes kind of coincide with one another as as chris finch started to grow and show you how smart he is as a coach d'angelo russell's game started to kind of blossom again and and my my final take on d'lo is that the passing was something i had heard about or maybe or maybe seen flashes of his playmaking his court vision what is is elite like he he really is a phenomenal passer like he made so many passes those last month or so that were unbelievable so i think that and and like you just said that chris finch real chris finch said it before he got to coach him you know on the court that he wanted to unlock his playmaking a little bit more yep but he that's what makes him such a good coach man like you watched watch the passes that delo made watch the passes that delo has made consistently throughout his career and then watch the the not even actions or sets, but just the way that Chris Finch gets guys to cut in certain spots to give D'Angelo Russell those passing lanes. He loves to pass to guys who just kind of run in and just set like a, a ghost screen, you know, where they don't really set the screen, they slip out of it straight away, and D'Lo can just lob it over the top to him. He had him doing it with Jordan McLaughlin a bunch. I think he had two or three in that final game. <laughs> I like, love that's the that. Pa- yeah, he that's a pass that he loves, and it's a pass that. You, you need to set up for him because it's not really a thing that happens consistently throughout a game but it but like that's what I've said it before that's what Finch is best at is that he he very quickly recognized what guys do best and then yep. you know, Taylor made the offense and, around that without without even you know instilling crazy sets or crazy actions uh it was more just like you like to do this all right cool like we're gonna put you in a position to do this all right and, and, that's and he's done and kind that. of the the way to when when this award is given to the best take to Chris Finch and D'Angelo Russell, it'll just be a running loop of that play. Um, I can't remember who it was against, but remember that inbounds play at the end of the game where they pull Carl out yeah, against Utah and D'Lo cuts to the basket? 
a lot of that we, – we don't know to this day. This, we'll run a 30 for 30 on this, but we don't know if that was a, just an action that D'Lo saw or if Chris Finch made it. But together, those two – I mean, you can't be an elite playmaker or have elite passing skills if you're not really high IQ. Um, and those two guys, I mean, they, they, they're they – as you said earlier uh, about Jalen, they're a problem for teams in closing situations because D'Lo has no fear and he's a really smart guy. And Chris Finch is – as he showed against Phoenix, as he showed against Utah – an elite basketball mind. So um, going forward, it's another kind of wrinkle for this team to be excited about or this fan base because you have really smart people in those clutch time moments. Watch these playoffs. Watch all these teams that don't run good shit, don't run good actions, don't make the right play. Uh, if the Wolves can just find a way to stay competitive for those first 46 minutes, they have a couple of really good important guys on and off the court that they give them a competitive advantage. And that's 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 really what you need uh, when – when everything's get so tight, so. Yep, it's a, it's a very good point. It's a good way to end it. Uh, Kyle, this is the first time we've spoken since after the season, so if you listen to this, if you read Canis, you know what Kyle does for the Timberwolves community. Um, Kyle, I've said it to you multiple times, but thank you so much for the season. Thank you for coming on here and, and providing some of the best episodes of the season. You, the amount of content you edit on Canis, the amount of content you push out yourself, um, just a herculean effort from you this season um a very successful takeover i'd say <laughs> kind of a kind of a chris finch-esque takeover <laughs> from you i'm just trying to bring uh, sexy back to to, to <laughs> covering the team but no you know this this is my favorite podcast my favorite podcast to do um we've i thought we did a really good job covering the team uh i i really you and i are i, I wouldn't say you're an optimist because you're a realist but um i really can say that as we close the chapter on this year and we kind of get into off-season mode um i feel real legit hope for next season and i think again you and i this was kind of our first year covering the team at this level right like attending media stuff going as much content as we did during the week um i thought we did a pretty good job so we were rookies in it too to an extent even though we've been doing it for a while um and if the team's better next year i'm hyped to see what you and jack and and mike and all of our other guys can do so uh props to you job well done but before you kick me out of zoom i need to know i know the playoffs start i need to know your finals prediction like you have to tell it now so it's on the record uh nets beat the west the west is hard for me man i the west beats the winner of suns versus lakers in six that is such a cop-out jake has a smile <laughs> on his face right now like, okay that's fine though so nets over Whoever wins that series in six, yeah, because oh. I think the I think if the Lakers beat the Suns and they they get to the finals, but I have them. If the Nets are healthy, I know right now as we speak the Nets are losing to to Boston, but if the Nets are healthy, uh, I think they win the the chip. And okay, I, I I I'd be pretty willing to bet money on that. Okay, I have I uh, I I was gonna say speaking of uh gambling purposes, Sixers over Lakers in six. Sixers over Lakers. Phil, right, Phillies right. plus seven fifty to win the finals. I kind of like that. Um. But again, as we've already saw, as we're finished recording this, like the playoff games are the playoffs are going to be awesome. Those playing games were oh. fantastic. Watching Andrew Wiggins take the biggest shot of that game and just not even hitting the rim, I blacked out drunk because of that. Like these next, we have two months of just you nonstop. couldn't get through one podcast without nope. being petty. Nope, nope, it's on my notes here. Uh, we have two months because like, I think the finals wrap up on July twenty second. We have two straight months now from today until then. The basketball is so high. Even if you're a Wolves fan, watch this. Think of what. Ant might look like in a closing situation. Think of you know what Chris Finch would drop in a in the last play. So I'm excited. I'm excited for us to take a break a little bit, but I'm also excited to just uh, keep watching hoops. And you and I have 
a packed summer. So this is not the end of Jake and Kyle talking shit about Andrew Wiggins. So certainly not. Um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for for the season, and we will get back into it. You know, probably next week. I'm sure I, there's always something to talk about. So I'm sure we, I I'll be back on next week, and and I'll have you back on in the coming weeks as well. So thank you, and um, and I'll see you next time.